Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. The Steve Malzberg Show on today's news talk radio, TNT. Hi, folks. Welcome aboard. It is four minutes past the hour of 9 p.m., Eastern time here on the East Coast of the United States on Monday night. And you know what day and time it is wherever you are listening to the Steve Malsberg Show or watching the Steve Malsberg Show. Um, I say this every day because it's true. I live and breathe news. Okay. Not that I make news, but I, I, I consume it. It's my passion. Uh, and, and that's what I do. That's what I've always done. You know, my work was my life. And then when my son came along, my son became my life. And, you know, when it's back to work is my life. It, 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 that never really ended, but my son supersedes, of course, still does. But the point is, it's, it's, it's what I do. So today, Joe Biden spoke at a uh, church in South Carolina. You know, he's on the campaign trail. And funny thing happened to him while he was speaking. Uh, well, not funny, and it's not unusual, and it's not a surprise uh, because uh, this is happening to people all over the place. This happens in Congress at congressional hearings. Uh, people stand up, they interrupt, and it's happened before. So here's what happened while Biden was talking at the um, Mother Emanuel AME Church in South Carolina. You might recall there was a shooting there uh, several years ago. And uh, here's cut 104. We shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. But the truth, the truth is under assault in America. As a consequence, so is our freedom, our democracy, our very country, because without the truth, there's no light. Without light, there's no path from this darkness. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. I understand it. I understand their passion, and I've been quietly working. I've been quietly working with the Israeli government to get them to reduce and significantly get out of Gaza. I'm using all that I can to do. Oh boy! Uh, so, so look, this is not a shock. This is not something earth-shattering. Uh, but I picked it up right away, and one person on Fox picked it up right away because they interrupted the speech after this uh, outburst and, and uh, you know, was over and the speech resumed. They cut out for a second to comment on it. But this is, um, this is placating. This is placating and trying to solve his problem uh, within the party for progressives and on the left and anti-Semites, um, you know, who want Israel to uh, just uh, surrender to Hamas. Uh, you never hear. Now, you're not going to hear it from these Palestinian supporters, uh, uh, you know, Hamas supporters. Uh, but you never hear the left say, hey, you want to end all this? You want to you want to get Israel out of Gaza? Hamas. 
Wave the white flag. Surrender. Let the hostages go. Hey, terrorists, surrender. No, but Biden, Biden's uh, uh, Biden's been working behind the scenes to tell, try to do what he can do to get Israel to get out. That's the answer. That's the answer. Let Israel get out of Gaza, Joe. So again, it's not a shock because we know there's a, a big dis, uh, discrepancy and disparity between, is a better word, between um, Israel's position, the, the position of their war cabinet on where the war is and where it's going, and the U.S. administration. Uh, I've read, I read today that uh, people within the administration are telling Israel, you better not go after Hezbollah. You better not go. You can't win. Well, if Israel can't win over Hezbollah, then the people who have been forced out of their homes on that border, the northern border of Israel, are never coming back. And with the rockets that Hezbollah has, thank you, Iran, um, if they start shooting them, they could reach Tel Aviv and other cities. So if Israel, if, if, if the U.S. administration is telling Israel they can't win against Hezbollah, don't do anything, now, Israel just might, they might as well wave the white flag on their way out of Gaza, which is what Biden's telling. You, you know, you, you don't tell, what you say to these protesters is, this isn't the place. This is a church. This, there's a purpose to this. And, and this isn't the place. No, yeah, I understand. Yeah, and I'm trying. I'm trying. So keep up the protests. Go block traffic to airports. Uh, let workers get, you know, not unable to reach work. Children unable to reach school. Keep blocking roads. I understand your passion. Yeah, you know, just, uh, you know, keep kicking in doors at Grand Central and climb up of the streetlights and take down U.S. flags. And I, I understand your passion. Huh? That's that's not the appropriate answer for right now it, at that venue, at that venue. OK, let's move on, because there was a lot of other things that Joe Biden said. We only have one more bite from Biden because, I mean, how much could we take on Friday? We played you his remarks from Friday, his uh, his speech near Valley Forge in Pennsylvania. That was a, a, a winner and a half. So here he is getting back on target and all that. Here's one oh five. That's why I tell them again, they lost in every court of law that challenged results. 60 losses in courts of America. There's one thing they don't have. They don't have respect for the 81 million people who voted the other way, voted for my candidacy. And voted to end the presidency. In their world, these Americans, including you, don't count. But that's not the real world. That's not democracy. That's not America. In America, we all count. In America, we witness to serve all those who, in fact, participate. And losers are taught to concede when they lose. And he's a loser. Oh, that was such a great line. Did you write that? Or was that an ad lib, Joe? Uh, Trump's a loser. Okay, yeah, please, when you lose, you're taught to concede. Tell it to Stacey Abrams. Tell it to Al Gore. Tell it to Hillary Clinton, who, you know, may have conceded, but then went around saying it was stolen, it was Russia, it was this, it was that, and, and countless others who did the same thing about Donald Trump's victory. So spare me. Spare me, spare me, spare me, spare me, spare me. Now, of course, at the beginning of this speech at the black church, 
If you follow Joe Biden and you know what he says over and over and over and over, if he's uh, talking to Jewish audience, no one's more Jewish than him. If you're talking to a Puerto Rican audience, no one's more Puerto Rican than him. If you're talking to a Latino often, you, you get the picture. So when he talks to black audiences, uh, inevitably it comes up that he has spent more time in the black church than than any black person he knows. And he said something very similar to that today um, about a black church in Delaware, where he start, where he joined the civil rights movement. Now, that whole lie that he helped desegregate uh, theaters in Delaware and, and, and he attended black services, that's all been disproven. He's admitted, he admitted that he didn't do that, but he keeps telling it because he's either sick in his head from age or he's just what i believe he is a compulsive lifelong liar a plagiarist a cheat and a liar i mean that's what he does and he brought up his son Bo. i don't know if he said directly he died in iraq but he talked about iraq in relation to Bo. you know i mean he did serve there he didn't die there but this black church thing you know, I spend more time in the black church than any black I know, blah, 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 blah. Well, let me let you hear from this, this champion of black people, okay? He's such a champion of black people. Now, this cut has, I believe, four different clips. There's a clip of him talking about people of color and 7-Elevens in Delaware. 7-Eleven, you know, the stores. There's a clip of him weighing in on Barack Obama, the candidate, when Barack Obama first was running for president. Now keep in mind, many black people had run for president prior to Barack Obama, but you'll hear what he says about Barack Obama. There's also one here where Kamala Harris at the presidential debate in 2019, before she dropped out, equated Joe Biden to his face with segregationists. And then there's the one where he told uh, Charlemagne the God that if you don't vote for me, you're, you ain't black. Okay, so just watch this. Remember, this is the champion of African Americans, the civil rights leader, Joe Biden. Uh, here is cut <laughs> J09. You cannot go to a 7 Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. So, I'm not joking. The first sort of mainstream African American yeah. who is articulate and bright and, and, and clean and nice looking guy. Mm. I mean, it's, that's a storybook, man. It was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Then you ain't black. That goes so deep of, of everything you heard. That goes so deep because that's an off the cuff. And that's his like zinger. That's his, that's how he really feels. In other words, 
all blacks are the same all blacks have the same concerns all blacks should vote the same way they're all monolithic because they're black their interests are the same do you understand what he's saying there you don't vote for me you ain't black how racist the first thing with the you can't go into a 7-eleven or a dunkin donuts without having an indian accent i mean that that's again that would get a republican kicked out that's just crazy sick joe biden talk and but what he said about barack obama during barack obama's first run i believe while biden was still running in the you know of, of for president uh, at that time and what he said about obama was that he's the basically the first clean articulate african-american to run for president clean was shirley chisholm the former congresswoman dirty was jesse jackson dirty was he a dirty black man was she a dirty black woman what the hell is he talking about an articulate they were an articulate again that is as racist does it matter does it matter Trump's the racist. Trump's the Nazi. MAGA people are the, are the, are the racist. They're the white supremacists. They're a, 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 a bucket full of deplorables, a basket full of deplorables, according to Hillary. Not him. Not him. And of course, Kamala. Now, if Barack Obama wasn't telling Joe Biden what to do after that exchange, which got even more heated, where she accused him basically of being a segregationist and favoring segregation and praising segregationists. And do you think he would have picked her to be his vice president? Of course not. That's insane. There were, someone wrote a book and said that Jill Biden at that point, you know, was cursing her out under her breath or to those around her. You think he would have picked her who was the first person to drop out of the race at that point, who couldn't get 1% of the vote in the primaries? She, he was told who to pick. The whole thing is orchestrated. The whole thing's a joke. So, and, and you want more racist stuff? I got it. Not right here, but I wanted to bring you that cut because it had the four, uh, four of those little cuts attached to each other. So when he goes to a black church and pulls the same garbage that, you know, he spent more time in the black church in Delaware, 7.30 mass, so eight o'clock they were desegregating the theaters. I mean, just stop it. Stop it. You already said you didn't do it. The media? Uh-uh. He never said that. I didn't hear it. There's nothing wrong with what he said. He gave a great speech. <laughs> That's the way it goes. That's the way it is. It's sickening. And it's dangerous. He went on to say in this speech, the same thing you hear from Barack Obama these days. You know, the truth. We need the truth. There can't be two versions of the truth. It's the, you can't have democracy if you don't know what the truth is and what the truth isn't. This media, in their coverage of Joe Biden, and any Democrat tell you the truth? Fake news by omission, lying by omission. That's what they bring you. And that is so dangerous. 
Now, I want to go back to, I mentioned Friday's speech. Uh, this is Wolf Blitzer on CNN uh, with the Republican strategist Kevin Madden, and they were talking about um, Biden's speech on Friday, where again, he went into Trump, Nazi, the whole thing, Trump, Hitler, and here's cut number, uh, this is 88. President Biden wants voters out there to really enter into a level of self-reflection about what direction the country's going. Um, and the contrast between a choice for, Joe, uh, for President Biden or a choice for uh, former President Trump uh, in November. And he believes that that contrast works in his favor. I think the other thing, that part of this, and this is, goes to some of what Kate said, the mo one of the most important constituencies here is the most active progressive Democrats who right now aren't really enthusiastic about voting for Joe Biden. And they need to be enthusiastic for voting for Joe Biden by November. So this is sort of a, a, a sort of a starter's pistol, if you will, uh, for getting those voters energized about what's at stake for this election. It also is probably a message uh, that works well with your most persuadable voters, those voters in the suburbs. And there's a reason that he was in Pennsylvania today, because Pennsylvania is going to be one of those states where suburban voters in areas around Harrisburg and Philadelphia are going to make or break whether or not that state goes for Joe Biden. So it seems very, very carefully calculated strategy here by the White House. Of course, it's a calculated strategy by the White House. Of course. But ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I don't think Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. Um, we've talked about that. I've mentioned Michelle Obama. We've had guests weigh in on Michelle Obama as a possibility. And Michelle Obama just did a one-hour interview on a podcast. We have one bite from that. We'll give it to you a little later. We'll have more tomorrow where she weighs in on every issue a candidate could weigh in on. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Now, this administration just gave Donald Trump and the Republicans an issue to run on which they could never have imagined they would get. What a tease that is. It's like, hey, let's take a break, but not yet. That would be a perfect time to break and make sure you stay with me. Um, this is so mind boggling, so insane, so unheard of that, that this just fell into the Republicans' laps, just out of nowhere. Our Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, had some kind of uh, elector, uh, 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 what do they call it? An electoral, when you, when you choose elective surgery. Oh, thank you. That's elective surgery done in December. And then he started feeling pain. And about on New Year's Day, he went in to the hospital. He was in intensive care. The Secretary of Defense of the United States of America was in intensive care for days and no one knew. We have a war going on in Ukraine. We have a war going on in, in, in Israel. We have US ships in the, in the Red Sea, in the Mediterranean. Our troops are being fired upon in Iraq. And our defense secretary checks into the hospital gets put in intensive care and nobody knew. In fact, after a couple of days or so, he called or someone called 
the assistant secretary of defense, you know where she was? She was on vacation in Puerto Rico. And she was told, again, might have been by Austin, might not, uh, that the secretary of defense is transferring his powers to you. Which is not unheard of. So it happens from time to time for various reasons, for a little time. She didn't know that he was in the hospital in intensive care after she had the powers transferred to her. She didn't come back to the mainland. She stayed in Puerto Rico. WTF? I mean, what? And then it's revealed that not only did she not know, the president of the United States did not know? That's not a question. He did not. It's confirmed. He did not. I mean, you read this story, this political story. At a White House meeting last week, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, noticed that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was absent. A top Pentagon official, Sasha Baker, was there in his place. There was nothing obviously unsettling about this. Austin was scheduled to work from home and had lower-level aides often sit in for, uh, for him. But what neither Sullivan nor Baker knew was that at that moment, Austin was already hospitalized at Walter Reed with complications from an undisclosed surgical procedure. Days later, Austin's secret hospitalization has spiraled into a drama engulfing the upper echelons of the Biden administration. Senior White House officials are struggling to answer questions about who knew what and when about when Lloyd Austin went in the hospital. And, and since the Pentagon went public with the situation Friday night, new reports are coming in, including Politico's disclosure Saturday evening that the Pentagon had not informed President Joe Biden or the National Security Council for days that Lloyd Austin, the Defense Secretary of the United States, was out of service. What the hell is that? I mean, you think someone should be fired? You think someone should be disciplined? Well, John Kirby today, one of the two spokesmen, he's a Pentagon spokesman, he's a White House spokesman, whatever the hell he is, he said, nope, doesn't look like anybody's going to be disciplined. <laughs> what? Now, I know little Pete Buttigieg could disappear for six months and we wouldn't know and we wouldn't care. I mean, we just had a plane where the, the Alaskan Airlines where the door blew off. A little boy almost flew out of the plane, sucked out of the plane. His mother had to hold on to him. His shirt was ripped off his body. No one knows why. That falls under transportation, I think. I know the FAA, of course, but have you seen Buttigieg? Have you heard from Buttigieg? God knows what vacation he's on, but the defense secretary? of the United States of America with two wars going on is in the hospital, could be dying in intensive care for days. And the president of the United States doesn't know. I want you to hear um, Jim Clyburn, who was at the church today, by the way, in South Carolina with Biden. Um, he was asked about this and this is, this is just, Amazing. Here's cut 91. Um, let me ask you, because we just learned Friday night that uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin 
has been in the hospital since last Monday, including in the intensive care unit. This wasn't disclosed to the public until four days later in a Friday night news dump. President Biden wasn't even informed about this until Thursday, a source tells CNN. We're obviously currently in the middle of several major military challenges. Is this acceptable to you? Vice President Pence called it a, a dereliction of duty. I don't think it was a dereliction of duty. No, I don't think that at all. I do uh, <laughs> wish that it had been uh, disclosed, and maybe it was. Maybe just not made public. So I don't know all the particulars here. I do know Lloyd Austin. He is a stand-up guy. He's a great uh, defense secretary. Uh, he has been a tremendous military man in this country. And I'm told he is now in charge of things as he was before the illness. Oh, well, thank God for that. By the way, he's still in the hospital. As I sit here, he's still in the hospital. I don't know if he's in intensive care or not. No, this isn't problematic. No, what? No. I know Lloyd Austin. If he wants to check into the hospital and he's in intensive care for two weeks, let him go. He doesn't have to tell anybody. <laughs> and then... This brain surgeon, congressman, who's been there forever, he's well-respected, you know, a big Democrat, of course, brings up HIPAA, the right to privacy, the right to medical privacy that every citizen has when it comes to their medical records. This is HIPAA? Here's cut 92. Now, we have some laws in this country, the HIPAA laws, uh, keep us out of people's medical businesses. And I do believe this man has as much right to be protected by those laws and be subjected to those laws as everybody else. He does have a duty uh, to uh, keep the public informed. And I don't know whether it was him or uh, somebody inside of the military establishment that decided uh, to do it this way, uh, but I'm sure uh, he will do a little better going forward as he said he would. Oh, so next time, God forbid, he's in intensive care in the hospital. He'll tell somebody. Folks, I've never, this is, this is cartoonish. This is, you, it's like you're making it up. You couldn't make this up and, and have anybody believe it. Are you kidding? I know Lloyd Austin. He's a great military man. Oh, HIPAA, HIPAA laws. <laughs> so the president of the United States, go, again, God forbid, goes into intensive care. We don't have a right to know. No one has a right to know because of HIPAA. You've got to be kidding. He's sixth in line for the presidency. Sixth in line for the presidency. Wow. So again, a gift, a gift to Republicans who should go with this, run with this, and pressure for Austin to be fired. And, 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 and show, you mean the president of the United States doesn't check in with his defense secretary for a week while two wars are going on? Wow. Wow. This is going to be huge. The news media might make it go away, but hopefully Trump and the Republicans will not let it disappear. All right, folks, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. Um, our friend uh, Mia uh, Cathell will be here from townhall.com uh, with an update on a story we've talked about. And 
some other stories that you, we haven't talked about yet. See Malsberg right here on TNT. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments. We turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. Domenic journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Tout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future, with nutritious food to eat, a chance to learn, to get an education, and do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome back, and thanks for sticking with us. And as promised, um, we're going to give you an update on a story that uh, we talked about um, several months ago and then followed up on a couple of times. And we only talked about it, and we only followed up on it because uh, Mia Cathell, uh, investigative reporter for townhall.com, was covering it. I mean, this is something that might have got some local coverage in, 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 uh, in, in the uh, suburbs of Georgia, but for the most part, uh, it, it just was non-existent. And uh, Mia's done such a great job uh, on this. And so we have some other stories to add to this, certainly. But uh, first of all, we welcome Mia Cathell. Uh, Mia, uh, belated happy holidays to you and happy new year, certainly. And thanks for joining us again. Thanks for always having me on, Steve. 
Well, it's my pleasure, and uh, you certainly uh, you certainly uh, deserve to be on, and and um, I wish you, I wish we get you on more often. And uh, but let's talk about again. I'm going to let you give a you know a little more than an elevator version uh, for those who haven't been with us uh, for for months and don't know. We're talking about two accused pedophiles uh, in the suburbs of Georgia. Uh, who had two young adopted children who they sold out for sex and just horrific things. And then they, um, you know, they want, they're both in custody and they're awaiting trial and they took the, the house was raided. Tell us, tell us where we are and, uh, and, and what it's all about. Yes. Yeah, so the latest update in this case, this is a child prostitution case in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. They were arrested in 2022. I wrote this multi-part investigative piece last January on it being much larger than just a domestic sexual abuse case. This is something to the extent of a pedophile ring. Uh, and so uh, in the aftermath of my investigation, I've been following up with what looks like a slow walked uh, trial. They've yet to go to trial. This is something that's like a year and a half in the making and I'm still following that. So the latest update, I was actually at the house where the crime allegedly took place. The mansion, or that's what the couple called it, it was more of like an executive style suite that uh, allegedly was obtained through this kind of crime that it was open to the public for an estate sale. And so this included the mattresses, the beds, the children's clothes, the children's toys, the alleged abuser's clothes. This was all sold to the public. And this was something that was just very hush-hush. It wasn't really advertised. And uh, how the, these items got there, that also wasn't made known to the people who were buying this stuff. Yeah, and, and who, uh, an estate sale run by the government? I mean, who gets the, the profits? Who gets the money? Yes, there was this family-owned business that was running this. It was more of a clean-out company that hosts estate sales, but... It was all under court order. Uh, they were instructed by the government with very specific orders on how they should carry out the sale, how they shouldn't talk about the specifics with people, how they have to remove any kind of identifying information. And allegedly, the profits of this was going towards a trust fund for the boys. And that's about the extent of it. I wasn't able to independently confirm if it truly was going towards the boys. And so that's what the uh, estate sale company told me. And that's what that's what I was going to ask. I was going to say, shouldn't shouldn't these these two uh, victims, uh, alleged victims, uh, be profiting from this? So where where are we on the court calendar? I mean, where when when could we expect? When's the next court date if it's scheduled? And and where are we? And when do you think you know will will uh, will there be a trial? Will it be a, a plea, guilty pleas, or or one turning on the other? Where where do you, where do you think we are with that? The last hearing was, I believe, in May. There was a motion hearing, and they are still deciding on spouse, spousal immunity. Other things are still rolling on, but I think it's based on what the GBI says, Georgia's Bureau of Investigation. They've taken all of this footage, it's like terabytes of surveillance footage that the alleged abusers took live streaming the sexual abuse in the house. And they're looking at the metadata and seeing if they can corroborate the timeline of what the children told authorities. And so that's how they can nail down how many times this occurred, when this occurred, 
And I read from the warrants that the abuse happened at least once a week. So this is a weekly basis that the children were raped. So this is something that's going to be very extensive. And we still don't know, uh, Mia, um, where the children are. I mean, I know you, at la I think you told me the last time that uh, as far as we knew that they were placed in kind of a, a, a facility where they're awaiting a, their next force, foster care home or something like that. I mean, is that, do we know, are they still in this, like, um, I don't know what that waiting center would be called. Uh, are they there? Are they, are they have they been a, a quote unquote adopted again or, or what? I was just told that they're back in DCFS custody, uh, presumably foster care placements, but none of that is made publicly known. I was also informed that the children were able to walk through the house again and decide which belongings they'd like to collect. But the, again, this oh, is from boy. the company that's presumably taking a cut of the sales because I don't believe they were purely doing this you know, out of charity. I believe there was yeah, yeah. some kind of partnership here. Well, I hope they they had a, a someone holding their hand at the advice of a, a good, good, good psychologist, uh, because going back into that house, I can't even I, I can't even imagine what must have been going through their minds. Um, and for the purpose of picking which items they want to keep, it seems uh, seems a little ridiculous. OK, so so we'll, you'll keep us up to date on that with your great reporting. I know. Now, let's move on. You and I also talked about the shooting in Nashville. Uh, the shooting at the uh, the school, the uh, religious school, by a, a a trans person, and the manifesto that has never been officially released, although it has been leaked, and I've had it independently confirmed by someone who should know that the leak was accurate, and what we saw in there was. A, a, a vile, vicious, violent, resentful person who was seeking revenge. And of course, the media had no use for it. None. They still don't. They couldn't care less. That case is done. Now we have the shooting last week in Iowa, where a sixth grader, I believe, was killed and an administrator, and you correct me, and, and other children uh, were wounded by a 17-year-old uh, student. And again, there may not be a manifesto that we know of, but there are reports of social media. I mean, I've seen these reports and the way it's portrayed in the media, like on places like NBC and elsewhere, is that conservatives gleefully um, cite the possibility that the shooter was trans. You know, in other words, they're making it about how conservatives want vengeance, how conservatives are trying to pin it on a trans as opposed to another trans. You know, another trans shooting uh, with with with, uh, again, resentment and 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 uh, a pledge to to get revenge based on what reports say uh, are possible social media postings of this this shooter who was killed in the uh, shooting. So tell us, give us again, give us the details. Tell us what you know. Tell us about the shooter, what you know and where we are with that. Yes. So based on these social media posts that have been tied to the shooter, uh, he used these trans non-binary pronouns on Instagram. He was a he, they, he had the pride flag emoji in his bios. He used gender fluid hashtag. And he was also on Reddit interacting with these forums, this transgender forum. He was considering transitioning. 
And so there was a lot of this concerning content on there that, of course, in any other case of a school shooter, we would know the motive, we would know the name, we would know all of this background. And so it was very suspicious when a lot of this was still under wraps. When the first press conference happened, that was a a non-briefing. We weren't really told the identity of the shooter, whether he was dead or alive. We weren't told anything until the afternoon when authorities decided to finally identify. And this is what we already knew from a lot of social media sleuthing out there. So again, they haven't officially, I mean, there's been no police update as to here's what's accurate. Here's what we found on the social media. Um, you know, he, he was a trans or none, none of that, no, none of that. And, and, and quite frankly, probably none of that will be forthcoming, correct? Yes, a lot of it is still being swept under the rug. Uh, I believe there was a report out actually by NBC saying that the shooter was on Discord, which is like a gaming discussion forum. And there was a school massacres related chat room where he was revealing that he was going to shoot up the school. And I believe one of the Discord users had reported the chat to FBI in the past, but there was no follow up. So we're, we're yeah. talking to Mia, Mia Cattell here on uh, the C. Malsberg show. Mia, of course, investigative reporter for townhall.com. Check out the site, check out all her work. But but uh, Mia, if, if this was a, a, a white um, MAGA cap wearing guy who shot up uh you know the school oh and if uh, the trans in nashville was a maga cap wearing or a white supremacist and went into a black school the way this uh, trans went into a religious school um uh, you know uh, uh, would you'd hear biden would have talked about it at the church today and they would have talked about it last friday in his speech then but this just doesn't count they will not tell you they don't want to make any connection they, they so what one was trans the other was trans so what it's it it's not journalism it's worse than not journalism it's worse than fake news by omission it's 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 just dishonesty. It's brainwashing the public. It's withholding information. It's not letting them know there's a problem out there. Exactly. The identity of the shooter, however he identifies, suddenly doesn't become an issue whenever it's something like this, similar to the Nashville. Oh, it doesn't matter he was trans or identified as any of this non-binary nonsense. And I saw some of the reporting, it might have been AP, focusing on how he was relentlessly bullied. And that alluded to perhaps being gay and being bullied. And we would see in any other case, what was the underlying motive? What pushed him over the edge? Clearly, this was a mentally unstable individual. And if he truly was experiencing gender dysphoria, that's also an indicator. You also wrote a piece, and I believe it was titled, Look Who Threatened to Shoot Up Another Iowa School. Um, after this shooting, there was another threat or another discovery of another threat. Talk about that. Yeah. So this was hours after the uh, Perry High School shooting. There was a threat made to a nearby school about 40 minutes away, I believe at a Catholic school, that a student there who was 18 allegedly threatened to shoot it up on Snapchat. And that's a report that has been little known likely because of the, the Perry school shooting overshadowing it. But also, as you can see from the mugshot, that's also a very inconvenient demographic of the shooter. It's not what you would think of a white supremacist uh, murderer going on a rampage. Uh, this was a black student. 
um, who I I think it was some kind of sick joke because he posted it to Snapchat a year ago and it popped up as what's called a Snapchat memory. And he reshared it because he thought in a sick and twisted way, it was funny to repost it uh, in light of the Perry High School shooting. You know, me. You know, what comes to mind is the uh, the Wisconsin Christmas uh, uh, parade uh, massacre, uh, which was uh, horrific by anybody's standards. Little children and old ladies were killed, run over uh, by a madman, and uh, it seems seems to be you know allegedly it was on purpose. And when it happened, and we didn't know who the driver was, or what color he was, or what his postings were, it was covered wall to wall. And literally the next day, when we when it was discovered he was black and his postings sh- showed BLM connections to, or supporting BLM and th- things like that, it went away. And I think that I think there was a study done or maybe you, we discussed it. I don't know that coverage just stopped. And and the next time, like I think the New York Times, the next time the Times mentioned it was during the sentencing after his trial. I mean, we're living in a messed up country when it comes to you know, protecting some and, and, and villainizing others. I I do recall with that case that they also tried to sever the relationship or the responsibility on the part of the murderer that they said the SUV killed people. Right. The SUV. Oh, who was driving the SUV? This car wasn't just being drivenless and just drove into a mob of people. So like you were saying, it, it really depends on the demographic or the identity. If if there's an inconvenient truth about the, the culprit, then we're not going to hear about the story at all. All right. You got one more story out of Baltimore, um, a gang member who was uh, it has just been released after conviction, after serving uh, not much time. Talk to, again, you can't make this stuff up. Talk about that. Yeah, so the county that this happened in Maryland uh, declared itself a sanctuary jurisdiction or a sanctuary city. And what that actually means is that they provide a refuge for illegal aliens who want to escape ICE custody, and they will shield them from federal law enforcement. If they are arrested for a crime, they won't honor ICE detainers. Instead, they will release them without informing law enforcement, and that forces the feds to have to track them down. So this specific guy, he was out there roaming the streets for years, and he was convicted of killing someone. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't even know what to say. And and you know what, Mia, and, and I know we've, I must have mentioned this because I mention it all the time. Republicans have so much to run on so much to run on these every one of these things we're talking about i know there's so much and you got to pick and choose and people have you know don't want to uh, short attention spans and all that kind of stuff but there's so much out there and i and and i'll just leave you with this if you want to weigh in i don't know you're in washington dc i'm not um and and it was a congressman um from tennessee um uh, burchett who said the other day he's been a congressman he spent years as mayor in tennessee and the state legislature and he talked about and he brought this up in an interview not with me that um blackmail 
you know, I've often asked the question, why? why? What's wrong with Republicans? Why don't they Why don't they communicate? Why don't they bring things up? Why don't they hold people to account? Akeem Jeffries supported his racist uncle at CUNY in New York, City University of New York, years and years ago when he, was, when he himself was in college, then told the media years later, oh, I don't remember. I didn't, I, I didn't weigh in on that. And he did at college. He, he held a protest to support his uncle. My point is, <laughs> is that Burchett says, you know, People all the time, they go to bars, someone connects with them, they go to a hotel room. The next day, that congressman or person gets a call saying, was that you in the hotel room? Boy, you better not say this. You better not vote on that. You better not. How prevalent do you think things like that, that kind of blackmail goes on? How, how prevalent is it or is it in your view? Or, or don't you know? You could say you don't know. I don't care. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that happens behind closed doors that we don't know about. And it's Washington. There's a lot of things that are hush hush. And then they just control the optics for the media. They go to the establishment media who will uh, run this positive PR for them. They'll run these puff pieces. And however they want to twist the narrative, it's just whatever the people are willing to consume and accept this truth. Mia Cathel, uh, Cathel, um, Thank you so much. And I can't wait to have you back. Everybody check out me at townhall.com. Have a great, great, great uh, 2024. And I hope we speak many times and keep up the great work. Thanks so much, Steve. All right. Uh, folks, we have one final segment left in the hour and we will come back. I'm Steve Malsberg. Just amazing stuff, right? I mean, amazing stuff. Me is great. And, and this stuff, you know, this stuff I haven't heard or seen anywhere else, it needs to be discussed. It needs to be talked about. But nope, nope, nope. Right here on TNT. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is, Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. Steve Malsberg on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. All right, folks. Uh, I don't know how many of you are aficionados of uh, or fans or whatever of uh, the NFL, National Football League. The regular season ended um, last night. I don't think there's a Monday night game tonight. Anyway, there might be. There might be. I should shut up. But th th this is the last weekend. Then the playoffs start next weekend. So I want you to watch this. 
I want you to watch this. This will be 102, not yet. Um, the New Orleans Saints are leading the Atlanta Falcons by 41 to 17. 41 to 17. There's a minute and 40 seconds left in the game. Now, usually you take a knee. If you're the team that's got, you know, you're winning by that much, you don't run up the score. So the, the uh, Saints were right on the Falcons' goal line almost. And it looked like by their formation that they were going to take a knee and just let the clock run out. Didn't happen that way. This is uh, from CBS. Here's cut 102. Arthur Blank had higher expectations. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that, that cause you to not be successful. And <laughs> as we watch this touchdown. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's, that's Williams that, with that. his first touchdown of the season, and that's the rivalry, right? It right. looked like a knee. <laughs> And the Saints score a touchdown with 110 to go. That is amazing. Dennis not Allen gives a Falcons fan. Dennis Allen gives no cares at all. Wow. I'm sure that it'll be like baseball retaliation this. at some point, right. you know, next next year. That'll carry over. Career. Oh, and Arthur Smith's hot that Dennis Allen scored a touchdown at the end. He is hot. He said, what are you doing? And he's going at Dennis Allen. You can read his lips, and you know. And I think he's got a right, by the way, to do that. All right. You, you, didn't, you didn't have to read his lips. You could hear what he said. And, um, by the way, Arthur Smith, the Falcons coach, who went after the coach there of the uh, Saints, got fired. Not for that because the Falcons pretty much stink, and uh, that's probably why he got fired. But uh, that was something. That was something. And they must really – I mean, I don't know much about the rivalry between those two teams, but it must be really bad. If you're going to set the stage for next year and have this linger over, which it will in the minds of the Falcons, I wouldn't have done it. But, hey, it was done. Now, at the Golden Globe Awards uh, – also on CBS, Joe Coy. Never heard of him before. He was the uh, MC, the host of the Golden Globes. And he made a uh, remark about Taylor Swift, which relates to football. And she didn't particularly like it, it looks like. Here is cut 103. Welcome back. And as you know, we came on after a football doubleheader. Uh, the big difference between the Golden Globes and the NFL, on the Golden Globes, we have fewer camera shots of Taylor Swift. I swear. There's just more to go to. Here. Sorry about that. Okay, I don't know why he had to say sorry about that, but of course, you know what's going on there. Um, Taylor Swift, romantically linked to a member of the Kansas City Chiefs, and so every time the Chiefs are on, she's at the game, and the camera... It obsessively goes to the press box or wherever she's sitting in a booth or a suite and all you see is Taylor Swift. <laughs> so he said there's there's more shots of Taylor Swift on the NFL than there are at the Golden Globes. And she didn't particularly like it, but I thought it was cute. And so I brought it to you um, for what it's worth. See, the New York Times ran an op-ed, an opinion piece that that the person who wrote it thinks Taylor Swift is really a lesbian. She denies it. Her people said it was outrageous, vulgar, this, that, the other thing. But um, check it out. Google it if you haven't seen it. All right, folks. Wow. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I did. And God willing, we'll do it again tomorrow. 
And uh, tell your friends, tell your enemies. Same time, 9 p.m. Eastern time. I'm Steve Malsberg, right here on TNT. TNT.